You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. If you have a white Subaru Forester, uh, your, fi- your car alarm is going off in the parking lot. Uh, we were trying to find some money for a synonym roll at the coffee shop, so we were just going through cars and we set it off. So uh, that's not really how it happened. But if you have that, um, feel free to go turn that off or let it just keep going and you can ride with me to lunch because your battery's going to be dead. So we'd love to have you join us, all right? Um, so we are starting a new series on Acts. And I am super excited about this. We are going to be looking at this through 2019, and this book is amazing. It is an incredible book. It is a book that will blow your mind as we read through it, as you see the stories, as we dive into this, as we see this fire that gets ignited in the church, a fire that's ignited in individual people, a fire that I hope will be ignited in us. And as we dive into this, you're going to see so many amazing things that we're going to be able to just be blown away, that we're going to be able to connect with, that we're going to be able to be like, yeah, that's me, I feel like that. And things that you're going to say, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I had the, the, the witnessing power. I wish I, I had the bravery to do this. There's going to be times that you're going to say, oh, that would have been amazing to see the early church in this. And so as we dive into this book, we begin by just looking at the background of this. It's a sequel to the book of Luke. If you know, anytime there's a sequel, sometimes this is good, sometimes it's bad. Oftentimes a sequel, like in movies, there'll be this great blockbuster, and then they come out with a part two, and it's usually just like a money grab, right? It's the same characters, it's the same plot, there's nothing much changed, and it's kind of disappointing. But every once in a while, you get that sequel that just rocks your world. You get that sequel that they use some of the same characters, but then they'll bring in a new character or two. And you'll have that sequel where it's a similar plot, but it's enough of a complete change that you don't even have to have seen the first movie to enjoy the second. This is the sequel. That's the same basic characters, but they've brought in a new character or two. That's the same basic idea of the work of Jesus that there was in the Gospel of Luke, but now it's the work of Jesus through the church. And so there's enough of a change that this sequel, this part two, the second book of Luke's, is going to be just, I hope, blow your mind as we go through this. Luke had written both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And while they're not in that order in the Bible, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts, they were together. Luke and, Luke and Acts, even in the first century, they were seen as just part one and part two of the Gospel of Luke. And then they changed the name, they kind of gave it a different title of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Some people call it the Acts of Jesus, and you'll see him uh, throughout, this, throughout this story. Even though he ascends in chapter one, which we'll cover, we see him in the body of believers. And so you have Luke who's written these two books. A little background on Luke himself as we dive in so you kind of have some understanding of where he's coming from. Luke was not a Jew, he was a Greek. Luke was a physician. If you were to say, hey, what do we know about Luke? Most people would say, I think he was a doctor and you'll see that throughout his writings. He pays close attention to details. He gives us extra background information, and he makes sure that he has researched all of this, and he's, and he's made sure to know that all this is true. He's, he's asked eyewitnesses of all this testimony. And so Luke, even though he was not the first-generation Christians, he, did not, he was not one of the disciples, he did not uh, walk that three years with Jesus, he was one of the second-generation Christians. 
one of the ones that was inspired by the disciples, one of the ones that knew the disciples and took the, the wisdom that, they had, that he had learned from eyewitness testimony and wrote the gospel of Luke. He then took more stories that he knew of, stories that he was part of, and he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And so you have Luke, who is a physician, which is what most of us would think of. But there's another aspect to Luke that usually you wouldn't think of. If, if, you, if you're trying to picture Luke and trying to write descriptions, this is one I wouldn't have written. But it's very evident, is Luke was also a missionary. Luke had a desire to spread the news, to spread the gospel. Uh, such a desire that he was willing to write the, the gospel of Luke, that he was willing to write the book of Acts. But we also see it, that when there's a call... And Paul accepts that call to go. Luke accepts that call with him. We see Luke, and he went and led the church in Philippi for six years and helped develop and help them grow. He went on the second missionary journey with Paul as well. And as we go through the book of Acts, there will be a section where it's telling his story. That he's been telling the story of the, the, the apostles. He's telling the story of Peter. He'll be telling the story of Paul. And then it changes to he and she and, he, and, those, and they to we and I. And we went. And so there's even a section of Luke, of Acts, where he includes his own stories. Because he was a missionary. He had a desire to be a witness for Jesus. And so you will see that. We'll see the details from his trade as a physician. But we're going to see his heart as a missionary throughout this book. The book was written, and most people think, in about 63 A.D. So not very long after the death of Jesus. They think that time because the book ends kind of abruptly. Peter, uh, Paul is in jail, and we don't find out that Paul gets out. We don't hear about the, uh, the persecution of Nero on Jerusalem and the burning of Rome. We don't hear about any of that, so we know it's got to be before 70 A.D. And most people think it was when Paul was in jail, about 63 A.D. And so you have Luke who's writing this, who's right there among the people that were still alive at the time of Jesus, who's able to gather information from eyewitnesses. And so you have this book, and as we look at this, much of the Bible, much of the New Testament, the epistles from Paul, has a lot of sound doctrine, has a lot of theology that we can learn from, that we can look and see the doctrine and see this is how we're supposed to behave because it says so. Acts is a little different. Acts, we're going to get that doctrine, that theology, from the way they lived. We're going to get that, that foundation of what our faith should be built on, by seeing the examples that the early church was, the example that the early believers were, that we would know what we as a congregation, and hopefully the congregation down the street and the congregation across the state and the congregation across the world is to be like, and also how we as Christians are to be like by seeing this in this story, in this book. And so I'm real excited. We've met as a creative team, and we meet and plan out eight weeks ahead. And we got some awesome stuff over the next eight weeks, right? We, one week we're even going to eat here in service. And so anytime there's food, I'm super excited, right? And so we got some really neat stuff. But I'm excited not just for, like, the creative elements, but I'm excited. If you've read this book, you know what we're about to embark on. If you've read the book of Acts, you know the amazing stories and the amazing truths and, and the exciting power of God that we're going to dive into. If you haven't read the book of Acts, then I'm excited for you as well, because this year is going to be mind-blowing. And as I say that, I hope that each one of us is transformed, not from anything that we do creatively, not from anything that I would say here on stage or Elliot would say here on stage, 
But I hope you're transformed by the word of God. That needs to be our goal. And whatever scripture we're studying, I hope that we are transformed by it. And this time specifically, I hope we are transformed by the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it. We'll also have it up on the screens. Uh, we got a lot of neat things connected with the book of Acts. We have uh, a small group that's starting this week that I'd love for to encourage you to come. It's meeting. Uh, Heath Schnelli is leading it. It's going to meet in the church offices, which is the Blue House right next door on Wednesday nights at 6. And they're going to be studying Acts as well. And there's another small group that's studying Acts as well. And, and going to be studying this along with the messages and to be able to see what kind of unpack that as a little, as they said in the shallow small group, um, to, to dive into what does this message mean and what is this story. And so we got that. We got some, a neat reading book that Elliot will, we have a video of him um, that you're going to see a lot of different elements that we're going to be doing with the book of Acts. And so uh, if you are ready, I'm going to pray because I just want this focus to be on God's word. And so we're just going to just pray this right now as we dive into Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Lord, we just thank you, and we pray that you are alive and active here. God, not through uh, any of my words, but alive and active through your word, through the scripture. God, that we will see how the Holy Spirit has come upon, uh, come upon us. God, let us feel that spirit. Let us know that spirit is here, alive and active and real. And God, we lift this up in your name. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine that 40 days? He's died and he raises, rose again. And now he's spending this 40 days just telling the disciples, telling the people, telling the followers about the kingdom of God, about where he knows he's going to go and he's going to go there soon, about where he knows the people that are believing in him, the people that are following him are going to go, that he's telling them about the kingdom of God, the place that you and I will go if we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, if we've given our lives to him, if we've got baptized, if we've done these things, that we will go and we'll be in heaven with him. We'll be part of this kingdom of God. And so he's sharing with them for this 40 days. Imagine how awesome that would be. He can, Luke continues, verse 4, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This idea of baptism is found throughout Acts, and we're going to visit this several weeks uh, as, we, as we go through this book. But I love this idea that Jesus is saying, hold on, just wait here. See, for 40 days, he's been giving them this pep talk about what's to come. And for 40 days, they've heard it, and they're excited. They're excited about the kingdom, and they want to just go spread the word. They want to go tell others about him. They want to go and, and share about this so we could all go to the kingdom. And he says, whoa, hold on. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And I think that's great advice for all of us. Sometimes we get excited and we see these plans that we want to do. And even if they're good and wonderful plans, we need to make sure that we're following the Holy Spirit. We're following where God wants us to go with our lives. And so he shares this with them. And they're excited because they want the kingdom to come. Remember, at this time, they're still picturing. They still have this Old Testament mindset a little bit. 
that the kingdom is going to come, that they were waiting all this time. They've been waiting for a king to come and overthrow the Roman Empire, that there would be a physical person and there would be a physical war and the, physically they would have independence and they would be free. And so they're working through this mind change. God's been telling them about the kingdom of God. It's not the kind of kingdom that they had been expecting for so long. The kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom. The kingdom of God is something that's waiting for us. And he's saying, but wait, right here, right now, the Holy Spirit's coming. And I love this because I got to think through these 40 days, they're like, yeah, but what about now? What about Rome's oppression on us? What about all the pain and the sickness and all these things going on in our life now? It's great, you're telling us about the kingdom of God and its eternity, but what about now? And he's saying, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's coming to you right now. This message is for us, too, that as we say, what, why is the life got to be so hard? And we got this illness and this diagnosis that I just can't understand and I can't explain away. This relationship that's falling apart and, and I can't seem to find a job and, and whatever, fill in the blank, whatever this difficulty might be. He's saying, yeah, here's hard, but you have the kingdom and you have the Holy Spirit here. And so he reaches out to them and he tells them the Holy Spirit is coming. And it says, verse 6, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's like kids on a car trip. Dad, are we there yet? Dad, when's it going to happen, right? So they're like, hey, when's this going to happen? Come on, tell us. And so he says, you don't need to know yet. But then he goes into verse 8. Verse 8 is kind of a summary verse of the entire book of Acts. Verse 8, if you were to look for a theme of the whole book, it's found in this one verse. An amazing, powerful verse. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This kind of summarizes the whole book of Acts. The book of Acts can be broken easily into three sections. Chapter 1 through 7 is the stories that all happen in Jerusalem. That it's the early church, it's the early church fathers that they're discovering the Holy Spirit and they're spreading the word and thousands are growing and the church is growing and it's there in Jerusalem. But then persecution comes, then oppression comes. And so they're trying, the Jews are trying to squelch this Christian rebellion that's come, building up and instead it just begins to spread. And it spreads out to the close nearby region of Judea and Samaria. And so the next chapters, chapter 8 through 12, looks at Judea and Samaria as the word has started to spread. And then Paul comes along and he takes it to the Gentiles and he takes it even further to the ends of the earth. And so chapters 13 through 28 is to the ends of the earth. This verse summarizes the book of Acts. But I love the beginning of it, that the power, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. These are all disciples that have been walking with with Jesus. Men that maybe grew up in the temple. Followers, men and women, that have heard the stories of the Old Testament, and they know that power of God. They've heard that power that was able to keep a lion's mouth shut as Daniel lay in the den. This power that separated the Red Sea and Moses and their, and their ancestors walked through. The power that gave Hannah a little baby child. This power 
This power that they've seen live and real for the past three years, the power that was able to heal the paralytic man that we talked about last week, the power that was able to make a blind man see, the power that was able to raise Jesus from the dead, this same power, Jesus says, will come upon you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing, not because it's just for the disciples, but because the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit comes upon us as well. So that power that kept the lion shut, that power that, that, raised the, that healed the paralytic man, that power is coming upon us as we have the Holy Spirit. And that power is for us to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so no matter what you see when you look in the mirror, perhaps you just see too many wrinkles and you're past your prime. Perhaps you see that you stayed up all night drinking Red Bull and coffee trying to study for this test that you're pretty sure you're going to fail anyways. And you just feel like you're failing time and again. Perhaps when you look in the mirror you see a worn out parent that wants to be there for their kids but just can't seem to connect. Maybe you look in the mirror and you see a struggle to make ends meet or relationships break. I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror but I tell you what Jesus sees. He sees the power of the Holy Spirit in you to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This power is there in you. And so he continues, Jesus continues, verse 9, after he said this, or Luke continues, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and and the cloud hid him from their sight. We just came off of Christmas, and we talked about Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And that is how he ascends to heaven. That they watch him leave fully God and fully man there up in heaven. And so the disciples and the followers go to the upper room. And we see in the next couple of verses they go and they collect and they don't know quite what to do. Jesus just left and and he's been talking about this for 40 days. He's talking about the kingdom and now he tells us to wait for the Holy Spirit. What do we do in the meantime? And so they go and they gather in the upper room. They go and gather in what many believe was John Mark's mother's house. Mark, the one that wrote the gospel. They're in his mom's house in this upper room and the believers are there gathering together. And we pick up on the story again in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And then Luke has a little parenthesis here where this is where you see the physician side of him. You see the Greek side of him. That not everyone is a Jew that understands these Old Testament references that Peter's talking about. And so he kind of fills us in. He says, with a payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Aklamada, that is, field of blood. Verse 20, for, said Peter, is written in the book of Psalms, may his place, may his place be des- deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Paul's quoting from the scriptures he knows, from the Old Testament, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. He continues, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. 
For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. It's interesting. We often think that there's just these 12 guys that traveled with Jesus, but there wasn't. It was a whole crowd. There's a whole group of men and women that for this three years were following Jesus. And for these three years were witnessing the things he did. For three years witnessed his death and his resurrection. And so I love how Peter, they, they're now at the spot that they need to fulfill, they need to fill this empty hole, right? Judas is dead, they have 11, they need a 12th. And so when he's presented with a problem or presented with an opportunity, he does two things. He goes to the scriptures and we'll see he prays. Verse 23, so they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Prayer is a significant part in the book of Acts. As we were talking as a creative team, we got this, some really neat stuff concerning prayer coming up over the next several weeks. But prayer is this continual theme all throughout this book. And not just that they came to the Lord in prayer, but you see prayers answered. You see the power of prayer. I could list all the times in prayer, and it would be almost one in every chapter. You got uh, the believers praying for a decision in chapter 1. Uh, courage to witness for Christ in chapter 4. Stephen prayed when he was being stoned in chapter 7. Saul prays at his conversion in chapter 9. Cornelius prays that God would show him how to be saved in chapter 10. In the midst of a storm, Paul prays for God's blessing in chapter 27. I could go on and on and on, but there you'll see there's prayer all throughout this book in answered prayer. You're going to see the power of prayer, and we see this here, that when the, the people are presented with a problem, what do they do? They turn to the word, and they turn to prayer. A great example for us to be able to follow those two things. And then I love that prayer. If you look at it, it says, verse 23, oh, I'm sorry, um, verse 24, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. Imagine if our prayers were like that. He's, pr he's praying, God, show us what you have already decided. Show us your will. Show us your heart. Show us your desire. So often our prayers are, God, please do this for me. God, please fix this relationship. God, please give me that job. God, please bring me health. God, please heal this person. We're always praying for what we think is best, what we think is right. But here, we see in this example, he's praying, reveal to us what you think. Reveal to us your heart. Reveal to us your decision. Reveal to us what your desire is. And so it's a great example of this prayer. Is Lord, reveal to us what you want. Imagine what our world would look like. Imagine what our lives would look like if we began to pray, Lord, reveal to us what you want. And so it says in verse 26, Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. They took the two names and put it in an urn. They shook it and tipped it over, and one name came out. It was Matthias. And so you, you see this example, and this is the last time that they cast lots. We see them casting lots all throughout the Old Testament, and this changed. And many people believe because in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit will come. And from chapter 2 on, the Holy Spirit will direct the decisions. From chapter 2, the Holy Spirit will direct their actions. And so instead of this, you know, maybe luck that they're hoping that it would come out, but it was God directing this name to come out, they begin to change and, and search for the Holy Spirit to determine this. But imagine, if you can, put yourself in this book. 
Take yourself back in time, and, and you're in this upper room, right? It's, it's crowded. It's packed. There's a lot of people, and it's hot. All the bodies are squished together, but they begin to think, who's going to take the place? Who's going to be the next person? And they recommend Matthias. But then someone throws out your name, and everyone's like, yeah. They've been a witness. They know the things that Jesus has done. They've, they were there when they heard the teachings of Jesus, which is true. As you've studied the Gospels, as you've, as you've explored the Bible, you've seen the stories that Jesus did. You've walked along those three years with him. As you've studied and as you've learned the, the teachings of Jesus, you've learned from him. You're qualified in this. And they throw out your name. And they put the two names in the urn. And they shake it. They tip it over. And out rolls your name. Your name to join that group. Your name to be the witness for Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. As we imagine that, I want to tell you that imagination isn't so far. Because you have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has called us to be his witness to the ends of the earth. It is as if your name has rolled out and you are part of this group and you have been commissioned to go and be a witness. You've been commissioned to go and be a witness to the ends of the earth for Jesus' sake. And in doing that, you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. On your seat, you should have a little card. On the front of that card, it has verse 8. Like I said, the theme verse for Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you flip that over, we have one question for you. Where will you be a witness? I want to encourage you. We're about to go into a time of communion. And before you go to the communion table, to grab a pen in the seat back in front of you and begin to fill this out. Because if you think about this, if you look at this, Jerusalem for the disciples was their close proximity. Jerusalem was their home. Jerusalem was their work. Jerusalem was the people that they engaged with daily. Who is your Jerusalem? Or where is your Jerusalem? Where do you need to be a witness for Christ? Maybe it's a specific person. Maybe it's a neighbor that you know is going through a rough relationship, going through a divorce, and you just need to be there and be a witness for them in their life. Maybe it's a location. Maybe I need to be a witness in the break room at work that I could set an example. Maybe it's in that study group at school. Where is your Jerusalem? If Jesus was proclaiming this to you, the power of the Holy Spirit is upon you to be my witness in Jerusalem. What is your Jerusalem? There's a blank for you to fill that out. And we've been praying all this week that God would reveal this to each one of us. What is our Jerusalem? But then what is our Judea and Samaria, the region, the area that, that they would then spread out to? We have people that come to this church all the way from Abingdon to Hampton, from Johnson City and Bristol, Bluff City, uh, Blundville. We have people from all around Keensport. Where is your Judea and Samaria? And how can you be a witness there? Maybe as you're filling this out, maybe it's just to be a witness when I go to the grocery store. To bring joy and to bring the joy of Christ to the checkout person. Maybe it's to the waiters and waitresses that you encounter over the next week and next month and next couple months. Maybe your Judea and Samaria is a, a ministry that you can get connected with. 
that we have sent to serve, and how can you go and be there at sent to serve, but also opportunities between those quarterly opportunities? How could you get connected in this area to be a witness to your Judea and Samaria? I want you to fill that out. We've been praying that God would reveal your Judea and Samaria here. And what is your ends of the earth? There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of stories you hear. There's opportunities to go and do mission work. Maybe God's calling you to do that, and and you just need to be bold and put that on there. Maybe God's calling you just to simply pray for missionaries out there on the field. Maybe it's to go on the persecuted church website and and discover the stories in a country that's under persecution and, and come to God actively in prayer for them and seek ways that you can reach out to people in that country. Maybe it's through child programs, through like Compassion or World, World Vision, to be able to reach out to the ends of the earth. You have this card. And we have this card printed on hard paper because we wanted you to be able to keep this with you. Maybe keep it in your Bible, maybe keep it in your car. As a reminder, as we go through this book, as we go through this series on Acts, As we look at this beginning, chapters 1 through 5, of just igniting this flame and igniting this passion in the church and in our lives. Igniting this passion in your Jerusalem. Igniting this in your Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're going to have an opportunity to go to communion. We have stations around the room and to go and take the bread and the juice. Take the bread and dip it in the grape juice and just serves as a reminder, a weekly reminder that Jesus is death on the cross for us. And as you do that, I encourage you to pray and spend time with God and pray that he can reveal your Jerusalem, your Judea and Samaria to your ends of the earth. Because I want to come back to one verse, verse 15. It was a verse that we kind of skipped, glossed over. It wasn't a very significant verse at first, but it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. And Luke gives a detail, a group numbering about 120. 120 changed the world. 120 went out and shared the gospel in their interactions at the, at the shops, in their interactives at the well, and in their interactions with their family members, in their interactions with the school. And then that all interacted in Jerusalem, and then that spread to the areas around and that 120 were igniting more fires and more people for Christ and it spread to Judea and Samaria and then those people were excited and those people were ignited and their lives were changed and they had a passion in their lives and a passion in their church and that spread to the ends of the world and 2,000 years later we have millions of Christians 2,000 years later we have every country has heard about the gospel 2,000 years later we are here this morning because of that 120 and I share that detail that little detail in verse 15 because in this room in this church right now there's a little more than 120 this is what changed the world. So I want to encourage you. Let us go out and change our Jerusalem. Change our Judea and Samaria. And change the ends of the earth. If you'll pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can be here to study how the early church began. And the example you set for us. God, we pray as we come to communion that we can meditate on your death and your resurrection, that you overconquered sin, you overconquered death. And God, as we meditate on that, God, 
reveal to us what is our Jerusalem? Where do we need to be your witness? Maybe that's at our home. Maybe that's with a spouse or a roommate. Maybe that's with a child or maybe it's with a parent. God, what is our Judean Samaria? Maybe that's a, a workplace. Maybe that's a, a shop. Maybe that's a ministry that we can serve in. God, what is the ends of the world? A place that we can be praying for, a place that we can be supporting. A life that we could touch clearly on the other side of the world. God, I pray that this group in this room will go and impact the world for you. God, I lift this up in your name.